Today's episode is sponsored by Root, Restoring Our Own Through Transformation. Root is a collective of concerned Black families, community members, advocates, and interdisciplinary professionals dedicated to decreasing Black maternal and infant mortality in Ohio. Root's mission is to comprehensively restore our collective well-being through collaboration, resource allocation, research, and re-empowerment in order to meet the needs of Black parents and families. If you and your family are planning, pregnant, or in your postpartum period, please reach out to Root at www.rootrj.org. Financial assistance is available. You can also connect with Root at 614-398-1766 or email them at general-info at rootrj.org. Welcome to Birth Stories in Color, a podcast creating community for people of color to share and learn from birth stories of all types. We're your hosts, Laurel Gurrier and Danielle Jackson. Today's episode features Elsie Johnson, an award-winning writer, entrepreneur, and activist with a passion for empowering women, especially women of color. She is also the founder of Zora's House here in Columbus, Ohio, a co-working and community space for women of color. Amongst all that greatness, she is also a mama of two little ones, and we have the honor of hearing her birth story. Hello, Elsie. Welcome to the show. What's up? Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to tell this story. Well, let's start off. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself and your family? Sure. So um, Danielle already introduced me, although she made me sound a little cooler than I am. But I feel like if the person introducing you doesn't make you sound cool, what the hell are they doing? Um, So as Danielle mentioned, my name is Elsie Johnson. I am an entrepreneur. I am the founder of a co-working and community space that centers um, Black women, other women of color. Um, And I am a wife. I am married to my husband and life partner, Sheldon, um, going on eight years um, this month. So, and we have two amazing, very energetic, amazingly energetic, Um, children. I have a four-year-old son named Sheldon Jr. who is affectionately known as Juju. Um, And I have a now one-year-old daughter, which feels completely insane to say, uh, whose name is Kara. um, And I'm going to be sharing her birth story today. Can you tell us a little bit about your pregnancy with Kara? Sure. So I got pregnant with Kara. Kara was born on December 5th of 2019. Um, and so I, my pregnancy with her was very interesting. And what I'm going to try not to do too much is completely compare every part of this birth story to the birth story of my son, although you know you're going to hear a lot of. And it was so different because with Juju, um, but when it came to Kara's birth, um, it was during a really interesting time in my life. I actually found out that I was pregnant with Kara. Well, let me back up. My husband and I um, knew that we were ready to start trying again. So um, because of previous health complications before I got pregnant with my son, um, I cannot be on estrogen birth based birth control. And so I um, have an IUD between every pregnancy, which means, um, you know, when we decide we're ready to have a child. It's like a whole decision. You got to like make a doctor's appointment. Like ain't nobody slipping up. Ain't nobody out here just like making a mistake and be like, oh my gosh, we're pregnant. 
Um, that was not happening. Like it was a very like, so we about to have a second baby or not. Um, and it was funny because I think both of us had imagined that, um, our, our child spacing was going to be kind of like two years in between. And I literally remember when my son was however old, maybe like 13 months or 15 months, however old they have to be for me to be wanting to get pregnant and having another kid when he's two. And I remember he was 15 months old and I literally had just started like brushing my teeth regularly. I was like, I am not prepared for another child. Um, and so ultimately we decided to do three years apart, which turned out to be a really um, good decision. And my husband and I decided that we wanted to, um, that we want to try to get pregnant. I got my IUD out and with my, um, with my son, I got pregnant really, really fast. And I remember just being like, look, I got pregnant fast with him. Um, but that doesn't necessarily mean that like, we'll get pregnant again, man, shoot. I literally never even got a period, um, after getting my IUD out, I got that, you know, the like post IUD, like, you know, the little bit of bleeding or whatever. And all of that happened. I was like, okay, you know, like it's a real squirrely situation when you get an IUD out because there's just like a lot of like miscellaneous bleeding for like a week. And I was just like, first of all, is this healthy? Like what's even happening? Um, but anyway, my OB was just like, yeah, no, that's normal. So went through that whole thing. And then I was like, man, it's just taking me a long time to like get my period. Like why haven't I gotten like my real period yet so that we can start like tracking stuff and figure out what I'm, what I'm ovulating. Um, but I just remember like very early on, you know, I started feeling, um, one day I was like having lunch with a friend of mine and I was walking to the restaurant and I started feeling super nauseous and I was like, I'm pregnant because with my son, motion sickness was like the, I did not have morning sickness, but I had such intense motion sickness that sometimes even walking, I would like feel like I wanted to throw up. So I was walking to the restaurant and this was like so early, there was no way I would have been able to get a test or tell or anything like that. But I just knew, I was like, I'm pregnant. And during that time, my husband and I were also dealing with the loss of a friend, we had a friend who was an activist in our community who um, had recently, um, you know, gone missing and, you know, we're just really grieving that loss and trying to process that loss. Um, and so it was just a very strange time for me emotionally. And so I actually remember, um, I knew I was pregnant. I went out and bought a pregnancy test. I knew it was too early to take it. And a week later or so, um, we found out that um, our friend who had gone missing um, had actually passed away. Her body was found and identified. And um, we found all this out and it was so traumatizing. And that day I was just like, I'm about to take this pregnancy test. And I don't know what it was. I was just like, I'm just gonna take this pregnancy test. And it still was technically too early for the pregnancy to detect it. But I took the test and I found out I was pregnant. And um, it was just a very, it, it really set the tone, I think, of my pregnancy because finding out on the same day we had found out that like a friend had passed away, um, it was really challenging. And the early part of my pregnancy, you know, I had um, a lot of challenges with my mental health. I, I had a lot of really intense anxiety, which is something I never dealt with before. I remember I was having all of these dreams about 
you know, death, all of these dreams about me dying, you know, my child dying, being stillborn. I just was having, I couldn't sleep. I was just having all these like really challenging um, dreams and things like that. And, and um, that pregnancy was, was challenging for us. Actually, I, I had a lot of loss. I lost my grandma during that pregnancy. Um, and we also lost a close family friend, um, actually the day that Kara was born. Um, she passed away the day Kara was born. And so it was a really interesting time. And I apologize. Hopefully I'll put some trigger warnings on these episodes because somebody gonna be out here like, be like, do 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 oh, cute pregnancy story. And it'd be like, damn girl, you made this shit real depressing in like the first five minutes. So um, I apologize for taking it there. For those of y'all who are listening, my bad. Um, but that was definitely my story and my journey. It was, um, I think it was more emotionally challenging than anything. I, I really, um, I really struggled in that way during my pregnancy because physically, um, physically I felt, you know, it was pretty fine. I had that early motion sickness. That was pretty normal. Um, yes, I will say that that was my pregnancy. There was a lot of like mental health stuff. So Elsie, I know you were dealing with a lot of loss and that new anxiety. How did you cope with it? Well, I got a doula who happens to be on this call. I'm staring her in her eyeballs right now. Um, hey. but our, <laughs> one of our, our amazing hosts, actually Laurel. So, you know, I knew from, from jump that I wanted to have a doula. We had a doula with my pregnancy with Juju and, um, but it was interesting. So first of all, I was new to Columbus. I had no friends. Um, and I remember being like, but I really want a black doula. And I was like Googling, I was like trying to find one, couldn't find one nowhere. I was like, ain't no black doulas in Columbus. Um, and I was just so devastated by that fact because especially during that time when I really didn't have a lot of community here and my parents were far away, it was really hard for me. And I, I thought that like having a black doula, somebody that I could really connect with emotionally, um, I thought that that was going to be really amazing and it probably would have been, but that shit didn't happen because I couldn't find anybody. So, um, I knew from, I knew that we still wanted a doula. So I gave birth at Mount Carmel St. Anne's. They have a doula program where, you know, it's basically a lot more affordable. It's like $300, whereas a traditional doula can be a thousand or several thousand dollars, depending. Um, and their program is like $300. Um, but the thing is you don't, there's no like pre- work. I don't know what you call it, but like, there's no like, um, pregnancy. You don't meet with this person, like during your pregnancy, really, they are there to support you during your birth and you meet them the day of your birth. So you are encouraged to go to a meet and greet where you meet all of the doulas. They do them like once a month. And then you can get anybody who's basically like on call that night. So, you know, it was not an ideal scenario for me because I really wanted somebody that I felt like I could connect with. Um, ultimately, I did have a good experience with the doula that I did have, but it just, I knew it wasn't the experience that I wanted. And so, um, you know, I hooked up with Root by that time. So three years later, um, when I got pregnant with my daughter, by that time, I actually, lo and behold, had some friends, including Black people who were like, oh yeah, girl, there's like a whole organization that has mad Black doulas. So I was like, where the f*** were y'all? Where were y'all? Um, but anyway, I got connected with Root and, you know, I was, I was so excited. And it was, it was, 
I was so excited to find Root. I found him like a, when Junior was like a year old. I was so excited to find Root that I almost got my IUD out just so I could get pregnant, just so I could have another baby, just so I could have a black doula. So like, thankfully we were not that foolish. Cause like I said, you know, the whole IUD, you really got to think that shit through. You can't just be like, F it to the win. It's like, no, it's a whole process. So thankfully um, I cooled my jets and then we, you know, did not actually start trying and to get pregnant until for a few more years. But I knew that I wanted a doula. I engaged with Root. I also am really good friends with Jessica Roach, who is the founder of Root. And so what was really interesting was that I got a doula and then proceeded to be like the worst doula client ever. Um, and I'm somebody, first of all, Laurel, don't nod so hard, the disrespect. So I am somebody who is like, straight A student, like you give me homework, I do it, like whatever needs to happen, like I'm gonna show up. When it came to like being a doula person, I ain't do nothing. I ain't do nothing I was supposed to. And it was interesting because a few, maybe like into my first trimester, you know, Lowell had reached out to me a couple of times. She's like, hey, do you want to schedule? And I kept being like, oh yeah, we'll do it. Like at some point, she like asked me about like my doctor's appointment. I was like, I don't know, they're coming up. You know, I just was very like non-committal. And I remember um, a couple months into my pregnancy, Jessica actually called me, which is kind of like getting a call from like the principal. It's like, oh, uh, you know, and she kind of like sent me this text. She was like, hey, I really need to like talk to you. And like, you know, I just, I need to understand. She was like, as a friend, but also as a CEO of Fruit, like, you know, it was basically this like very like stern text message. And, um, at the time I was really in a space where I was like, first of all, like, don't be sending me this stern text message. That's number one. But also Jessica's kind of intimidating. So I was like, but anyway, let me call you real quick so that I can explain myself. So what ultimately ended up happening is that we ended up having a really amazing and emotional conversation where, you know, Jessica was just like, look, what's going on? Like you're pulling away, you're not engaging, like what's going on with you? And I really just was honest for the first time about the fact that I was feeling really disconnected with the pregnancy, that I was grieving and I felt like it was leaving very little space for celebration and um, that I was really having a hard time like getting excited about being pregnant. Um, and, you know, and also having a hard time with the idea of like people taking care of me. I'm a black woman, I'm an entrepreneur, like, you know, I grew up like with, you know, a variety of different kind of like challenges. And so I'm very used to like taking care of myself. And so even though like many black women, like I knew I wanted that care, um, I was having a hard time really engaging with it and accepting it. And so, you know, Jessica really helped me to like process that and think through that and, um, and it was really helpful. And, and she also kind of told me like, look, you know, Root is not just like, you know, here to, you know, be there to cheer you when you push a baby out. Like, you know, we're supposed to be here through this entire process. Um, and that was really helpful for me actually, because I feel like having that relationship really helped me feel grounded in the pregnancy, even when I wasn't excited about the pregnancy. Like, you know, even when I was just dealing with a lot of anxiety and grief and, and um, you know, I think just like having that experience was really helpful. So, you know, Laurel kind of like kept, you know, I was, Jessica was like, you need to talk to Laurel about this. So I did. And Laurel kind of like, you know, encouraged me to like do little things to like be mindful, to help me with my mindfulness, to help me like be really engaged. Um, 
And I think that was, that was really amazing. And also my husband's like very, very supportive. So, you know, he was grieving too, which was hard, but he was really supportive. Um, and, you know, I'm a big believer in mental health. So like, I got a therapist. I was like, listen, I ain't out here just trying to suffer now. Like I may be struggling, but I ain't trying to suffer. Um, and so, you know, I, I am a huge believer in like mental health care. Um, I got a therapist. I started talking to her about what I was feeling. And um, yeah, I just tried to really take care of myself and address that head on because I knew that um, it was a challenge and, and it was something that I wanted to make sure I was being very realistic about because I wanted joy in that pregnancy, even though I never really got it, but I wanted it and I was still, you know, going after it and trying to pursue it very wholeheartedly. I mean, your, your experience brings up what happens, I think, to a lot of people. Like we understand as doulas, especially when we're able to support a family way beyond just their birth, that there's life, life happens. So things are gonna come up that can either be a distraction that can help or hinder like how you're feeling in the moment um, and being able to understand like, yeah, I'm gonna pester you because I know that there's <laughs> X, Y, and Z going on. And I know that you need some space to actually sit in what's happening to you currently because that's not gonna, you know, go away like that's always going to be in your face right there front and center um and i think you know as being a root doula that's one of the things that i do love is just being able to really support a family in that way and also know like we've said you know with root it's more than just the face that like your lead doula you're, the face that you're just seeing there are 12 of us i think there's more than that but there's an army of us did you check up with LC today? What's going on with LC today? Which one of y'all can get in contact with LC today? Um, but that you just have this large support system to actually make sure that you and your family have everything you need um, to feel like you have community. So, yeah. yeah, I think that um, when I hear you speak on your experience about, you know, with Root, but also with your counselor and just that space of being vulnerable, and that is kind of challenging, especially for black women, especially for, you know, professional black women, black women in general, and just the roles we hold, um, the, you know, stereotypes we hold up, right? Um, and being able to be vulnerable and, and for other black women to recognize it in you and to keep pulling, right? Just that keep pulling at you because they know, because we already know. And so it was just like, come on, you're coming with us. <laughs> Can you now tell us about your birth? Start us from the beginning. So one thing that I want to point out actually before I even get to my birth is the fact that um, I actually switch providers. Actually, there's like a whole other. So there was another huge thing that happened during my pregnancy. So I actually switched providers um, at around 20 weeks, which is interesting because when I'm pregnant, I consume birth stories with the same like frequency and passion as I consume white chocolate, which is very frequent and very passionately. So I just get like so into birth stories. Anytime I get pregnant, I'm just like, let me go ahead and immerse myself in these thousands of stories of women who have also given birth. Like I just, I love it. And it's interesting because one of the things that I often hear is people feeling like, um, they can't really switch providers if they've 
already started with somebody or they feel nervous. And that's so interesting to me because like it wasn't even a second thought. Like once I was like, this provider isn't working for me, I was like, mm, moving on, I'm switching. Um, and so I didn't even consider not switching. But the background for this is that it's always been really important for me to have a Black woman OB. Um, and that is not just because in Columbus, the maternal uh, mortality rates are incredibly high and they tend to be less so when you have a Black female OB because, um, you know, for for all of the reasons, do the research, I'm not gonna get into it. But the point is that it was really important for me to have a black woman OB and to have somebody who I know was going to be able to see all of my identity. My OB for my first birth, who I really, um, I really appreciated, but the, I think one of the challenges during that time is that I felt like my OB was really young um, and, you know, in a lot of ways, she was just very efficient. Like, I felt like she was very kind of like, all right, well, how's it going? Like, you know, are you, you know, whatever. And um, as somebody who'd never been pregnant before, you know, like I said, and I didn't have a lot of friends here and I didn't have a doula, I just really was missing that person who was just gonna kind of check on me um, emotionally. And to be honest, that's not really the obstetrics, like, method of care. Like most people want that. They'll go to a midwife, whatever. I would have gone to a midwife, but I was a high-risk pregnancy, so I couldn't. And so I feel like I was really yearning for that kind of like, you know, she was very efficient. She was very professional. She was cool. She was caring, but I was looking for that like girl. And then last night I was up till 1am and like, you know, I'm just trying to deal with it. And like, she was just like, okay, here's your blood pressure reading. Like, do you have any other questions for me? And it was like, uh, no. Um, and so, you know, I think at the time, like I really, I really appreciated who she was, um, but I think I was looking for something different. So then the second time around, I was like, okay, I remember like, I really wanted something, somebody who was like a little bit more kind of like maternal and, and everything. So I went with another OB who was a little bit older. She kind of reminded me of like, kind of like a black auntie. Like I just, you know, I just appreciate her. She was like a little more old school or whatever. Um, but what I realized, and this is just a, you know, word of wisdom to those of you who are listening and maybe in the same experience is that what you feel like you need the first time ain't always what you need the second time. Um, because you are a whole different person. You are in a whole different place. And what I was finding was that that kind of like maternal overprotectiveness, the way it was showing up for me was actually really grating for me because I was like, first of all, I've done this before. And I felt like I already had, had more confidence than I had the first time. I didn't have as many questions. I also had a much larger community and support network. So I really didn't feel like as lonely or like I really needed that. And so the way that showed up was like when I, the very first time I went to check my, um, for an OB, um, appointment and you know I went in to like confirm my pregnancy or whatever and they scheduled me for like typically like if you go in to like confirm your pregnancy and at that point I already had the positive pregnancy test and I think I was I don't know it was like a few weeks past that and so typically like they'll do like the um urine test or whatever and just to confirm so like they did the urine test and then they had me come back for like a vaginal ultrasound to like see if like make sure the pregnancy was like, you know, where it was supposed to be and not in like my, you know, fallopian tubes or whatever. 
which is all well and good, but it was just, it just seemed a little excessive because I was like, I don't have any history of like atopic pregnancies. Like I don't have any, like there's nothing that would make you think that like something is wrong with this pregnancy. So like, why do you need a vaginal ultrasound? Like I got positive pregnancy. I got the positive, like, you know, urine test. Like I just had never had an experience when they were like, oh, and we need a vaginal ultrasound to like extra confirm. I was like, how much confirmation do you need? Okay, Jesus had less confirmation. We don't need all this. So, you know, I just, from that moment, I was a little bit like, eh, I don't know about this. You know, I, I felt like, okay, this is a little bit extra. Um, and then with my previous pregnancy, I do have a history of fibroids and I did have a fibroid related issue, um, basically a degenerating fibroid with my first pregnancy that put me in the hospital for a couple of days. There was nothing that was impacted with the pregnancy itself. I still carried the term, all of that, um, but I was in a lot of pain. Um, and so I had that history of fibroids. And so, you know, my um, OB like wanted me to go see a maternal fetal health specialist um, because I had had the history of blood clots and the history of fibroids like the history of blood clots was many many years back when I was in my 20s um, and that was like the blood clots due to the birth control um, and that's what made me a high-risk pregnancy so the whole time I was I was pregnant I was on injection blood thinners um, and so anyway, so she was just like, oh, you know, since you have a history of these things, we want you to go see a high risk doctor. And I was kind of like, well, I hear what you're saying, but like, we're not seeing, like we've success, I've successfully managed this with like another pregnancy. These aren't necessarily things that are like, you know, just automatically just like red flags. Like, you know, even looking at the fibroid, she was like, oh, I don't see any issue with the, um, with the blood thinner. She's like, oh, I don't see any issue, but like, I just want you to go see a maternal fetal medicine doctor. So once again, I just felt like my concern was that, you know, I felt like there was not a lot of trust in my body. It was very much like everything was like, let's get this extra medical confirmation. And that was really concerning to me because one of my things that I really wanted was to be able to give birth without a whole lot of just stuff and drama and interventions. And so it just seemed to me that every time there was a question, her automatic response was to like assume the worst and then like go undergo like other medical, you know, things that I didn't really feel were necessary. Um, and so it did end up like coming to a head with me when we went to the um, maternal family medicine doctor, we went and saw this doctor and it was the worst experience, like worst medical experience I've ever had. It was this super old white man and we went in, you know, they checked my blood pressure, all that kind of stuff. We went in, we sat down in his office and he was like, so uh, why are you here? And I always get like somewhat annoyed by that because I'm like, don't you know why I was here? I'm, I was referred to you. I don't understand why you're asking me why I'm here, but whatever. So I was like, you know, well, I have a history of fibroids and I also have a history of um, pulmonary embolism and all those things that are managed during this pregnancy. But I was like, I think my doctor just wanted me to come talk to you and this and that. And so he was just like, oh, okay, okay. So then he starts like going through my medical history and you know, he was just like, oh, I see you have a, um, a history of diabetes. And I was like, I was like, I don't have a history of diabetes actually. I was like, I had gestational diabetes like, you know, with my son, but I've never had diabetes before or after. So it was only really during that time. He was like, oh, well, 
you know, like, you know, with your eating habits, like, you know, what type of uh, eating habits do you have? He was like, because, you know, you can't just eat like chips and soda all the time. Like, you know, you need to eat fruits and vegetables. And I was like, first of all, sir, um, I was so annoyed because I was like, why? He didn't ask me anything about like my actual eating habits. He was just like, oh, you can't just eat chips and soda. I was like, why are you assuming that I just eat chips and soda? You have no idea what my eating habits are. It was very clear. He was assuming it because he was like, you're black. So you have diabetes because you don't eat well. And um, I was like extremely frustrated because I was like, gestational diabetes is a pregnancy related condition that has to do with hormones. It has nothing to do with you know, how I do or don't eat when I'm not pregnant or even when I am pregnant. And I was like, there's nothing that I could have done to prevent myself from having gestational diabetes. And I was very frustrated because he was like, oh, are you sure? He was like, you know, sometimes like gestational diabetes is just like, you know, the first time diagnosing people who already have diabetes. And I was like, sir, I do not have diabetes. Like I did not have diabetes before. I was like, I got tested afterwards like I don't have diabetes like I don't have diabetes now and by the way like I didn't have gestational diabetes for my second pregnancy um but it was just he was like so harping on like the fact that he just could not believe that I didn't have diabetes and he was just like oh you know because if you need to like you know we can get you with somebody you know there are nutritional counselors they can show you you know the food pyramid and like walk you through it and I was like oh yes this man said they can show you the food pyramid I said I'm sorry sir I'm sorry like I'm sorry. Like, I literally was just looking at him like, I do not understand. I really do not understand. Um, and so my husband and I, who was also at the appointment, were just getting like more and more like infuriated, but also just truly incredulous. I was like, wow, is this really happening right now? So then later on, we're like having the conversation. I was just like really getting checked out. But then he was like, yeah, you know, um, with your pulmonary embolism, like it's good for you to, um, he was like, yeah, you know, it's good for you to like get some exercise. Um, and he was like, you know, one thing, one type of exercise that's really good, it's kind of like low impact is like swimming. And he was like, oh, uh, do you, do you know how to swim? And I was like, yes, I know how to swim. And this man looked me dead in my face and said, so if you got into a pool, you wouldn't be scared. You wouldn't drown. I was like, no, because I know how to swim. I was like, my grandfather was a Marine and my mom was a competitive diver. I've been swimming since I was two years old. I know how to swim. Like, but again, it just was very clear. Like he just kept harping on all of these things. Like he asked me about, um, he was absolutely shocked that I carried junior to term. He was like, wow, like all 40 weeks, like, was he underweight? I was like, no, like, what is wrong with you? Like just every single thing he just was, it was so clear that like, he was so tied up with all these stereotypes. Like at the end of the appointment, he was like, oh, before you go, because by the time I was like, we're going to go, I think we're good. I don't think we have anything else we need to learn from you, sir. Thank you. Um, literally, and my husband was getting so mad. I was like, so we're going to go. Okay, goodbye. And he was like, oh, wait, before you go, like, I need to talk to you about high blood pressure. You know, like, do you have hypertension? I was like, they just checked my blood sugar and they said my blood, my blood pressure and my blood pressure is perfect. Like, I have perfect blood pressure. I always have. 
And so the fact that like, once again, all he could think about was like diabetes and hypertension and could not believe that I could swim, could not believe that I carried my child to term. Um, you know, it was just so disturbing on multiple levels. And thankfully, like I was going to that appointment just because my OB, you know, recommended it. I really didn't have any concerns. But in that moment, I, it became very clear to me why we have such high rates of maternal mortality and infant mortality amongst Black women, because that doctor looked at me and he literally could not get out of his head, like the preconceived notions that he had about Black women. And, you know, and, and more disturbing than that, I was like, all of the things that he was asking, he never asked me about anything else that might have actually been impacting you know, my pregnancy, like, you know, I was an entrepreneur, I have a high level of stress at the time I was traveling a lot. And like, you're really not supposed to travel a ton when you have a history of blood clots, like, but he didn't ask about travel. He didn't ask about work. He didn't ask about anything that actually had to do with my life as a professional woman. All he could think about was diabetes and teaching me the food pyramid and whatever the fuck else he was trying to, you know, suggest that I needed. And just having that experience, I was like, what if I had been somebody who really did have some concerns, right? And like the whole time, all he did was ask irrelevant information based on stereotypes. And he never asked me any relevant questions about my medical history or my concerns. And I can just imagine, you know, how there are so many diagnos diagnoses that could have slipped under the radar or, you know, not been passed along because he wasn't seeing me as a full person. He was just seeing me as a stereotype. And that was kind of like the, that was like the last draw. I was like, nah, you sent me here, girl. I was like, Obi, you got to go. I can't, I was like, I can't trust you. And you sent me to go see this cat? No, we out, we out. And so I ended up going back to my previous OB and it turned out that, you know, in the last, I think in the, the years between my two pregnancies, one, I feel like she had gotten more comfortable with herself because she was a lot more, I feel like I got more of her personality and two, I was a lot more confident. And so I just, the relationship was awesome. It was like a complete different experience. It was everything I needed. Um, but yeah, that was a huge, huge part of my pregnancy was switching providers and also having that experience with that extremely racist uh, maternal health specialist. It's almost like he had a racist checklist, like, <laughs> He missed watermelon, right? I mean, it right, was he should have been like, oh, on the food that seat, I'm sure that would have been included on the food there. <laughs> which the consultant was gonna come tell me about the food pyramid. He he almost got it. He almost he got, almost it. got oh. it. Like that's he was just waiting for you know his reinforcements. Oh my gosh. But that is also you like recognizing that stuff in that moment and not internalizing what he was trying to say to you, which a lot of women, you know, a lot of people go into their providers and they start to hear all these things and they're like, oh, maybe I, maybe there is something wrong with me, my body, or they know that it's happened to someone else in their family. Like even just thinking like, oh, my, my mom has high blood pressure. Maybe I'll have high blood pressure too now. You know what I mean? Like not recognizing that they were fine before they started talking to him. And then you start to build up this anxiety in people. And like you said, he didn't even address what was actually a real issue. Come on. Trash. Yeah. 
he was I was literally <laughs> he was trash and you know I feel very grateful that I have the you know my mom has a chronic illness and so you know I've seen her navigate medical professionals and their racism and their sexism and their uh ableism um in all types of ways and I'm really glad that I had that experience and the confidence to be able to be like this is not me like you're problematic but I also would not judge anybody who went into that experience and came out feeling really defeated or feeling like there was something wrong with them because he did his damnedest to tell me that, you know, I gave myself gestational diabetes and that I probably had lurking diabetes that I didn't even know about and that, you know, um, I probably am going to have high blood pressure and like it's miraculous that I carried my child to term like everything that he said, you know, reinforced or could have easily reinforced all these beliefs that there was something wrong with me and my pregnancy and um, something with what I was doing. And yeah, just very frustrating. So that was the other big thing that happened during my, during my pregnancy. So we get rid of him. We get rid of the, the other OB. We're back with the original OB. Walk us through the birth. Okay. So one of the things that did come out of that, um, one of the things, and again, this goes back to my concern about, you know, intervention is that during my pregnancy, because I had had that, that um, maternal fetal medicine, I had an appointment with him, then I had an appointment with another person to actually do like an in-depth scan. That was like supposed to be the two things. And when they did the scan, they were like, oh, you know, we see there may be like a heart issue or something like that. They were just like, we can't tell, right? Like we can't tell if there's something wrong. Um, and so they ended up sending us to like a fetal, to get a fetal echocardiogram. Um, and all we, so we had weeks of being like, damn, we're so stressed about this. Like, you know, all of this kind of stuff ended up being nothing. And, you know, it's not that I'm not grateful that we had the insurance and that we were able to address that. But the fact of the matter is like, we never should have even had that appointment because there was never anything wrong. And, you know, had we been going to the doctor, they would have just, you know, her heartbeat was fine the entire pregnancy, but it was like, oh, just in case, go get the scan. And then we went to the scan and they were like, oh, we we may or may not see something. We can't tell. It's just the absence of being able to confirm this. Now you need this other, like more specialized scan. And so because of all that, I did end up developing a relationship with the um with a black woman, the one black woman they have in maternal and fetal um, health, which by the way, I raised absolute hell until I got an appointment on her calendar. And I told them I wasn't about to see anybody else and they better find a way to get me on her calendar. And they did. Um, and so I ended up developing a relationship with her. And during that time, one of the things that they also noticed, like, you know, the baby was a little bit smaller. And so there came a point in my pregnancy where they were a little concerned that I might have interuterine growth restriction and that the baby would stop had stopped growing and all this kind of stuff and so there was like a flurry of like appointments and things like that towards the end of my pregnancy to be like are we gonna have to induce at like 37 weeks or what is happening here so we had a series of scans and what ended up happening was like the growth was fine but my my um, specialist did say hey but one thing I will say is that like your placenta is like aging really fast. And I was like, yeah, my placenta is stressed by y'all. Y'all out here stress me out. She's going to my placenta. Um, but they were saying, you know, your placenta is about two weeks, looks about two weeks older than like your, you know, uterine date. So basically like at 40 weeks, my placenta like was looking like a 42 week placenta. 
So she was like, we don't really want you to go much past 40 weeks. So we're going to induce you if you don't go into labor by 40 weeks. So that is the background, at which point my husband and I had all the sex, walked all the stairs, ate all the spicy food, and none of that shit worked. Um, so we were just like, oh, we're about to go. We're going to go into natural labor and this and that, that and this. And we did not. I did not go into natural labor. I'm reading all these birth stories. And I was like, oh, and it's going to be like this and like I was just like, how are we going to know when it's time to go to the hospital? Well, when they call you, because that shit was scheduled. So basically on my actual due date, um, we got scheduled for my actual due date, which was December 5th. Actually, it was the day before. It was the day before my due date because my best friend's birthday is on December 5th. So I was like, oh, I want her to actually be born on her. And my due date was December 5th. So I was like, I want her to be born on her due date, as long as we got to do this whole induction anyway. So that day, um, we scheduled the induction for 8 p.m. And we did that because I was induced with my son as well. And um, it had really taken a while for things to get going. So I was assuming, okay, let me tire myself out today, do the induction, sleep the night. And then in the morning when stuff picks up, I'll be kind of energized. So I remember that day, um, we actually, my son who was two, three at the time, um, or two and a half, almost three. So we took him to Legoland in the mall. There was like nobody there. Cause it was like, you know, uh, it, it had just opened and like, it was like the middle of like a, a weekday. And so like nobody was in there. So we had the whole thing to ourselves pretty much. Um, and it was just so fun, but I was like super pregnant. So there were like two other people in there. They were like, what are you doing? I was like, oh, I'm heading to the hospital in like two hours. And when you tell people that out in the world, like in the wild, wild world of being in public, people are like, please get the fuck away from me before you have this baby. And it is so funny to watch people react to you being like, oh yeah, I'm doing like 30 minutes. And they're like, oh no, goodbye. Don't talk to me. You may or may not drop your baby on my foot. And like, it is just hilarious because most people don't know how birth happens. And like, Listen, even if I started giving birth now, I probably would not be done for like another three days. But people just like totally freak out. So we were in Legoland um, and it was so fun to just have that little um, time with my son before I was, you know, to give birth. Sheldon and I went to the movies and had lunch together. We had a date and then we picked up Junior and we all went to Legoland, it was really fun. So then got to the hospital around eight for the induction. Laurel met us there. Um, and this is going to be really funny. So y'all do not know because you're just listening to the audio, but we have this on video. So I'm going to be looking at Laurel's face the entire time I'm telling the story to see if she remembers this like I do, because I'm sure my version of this is going to be very different than hers. Um, so she can pop in at the end and be like, mm, I didn't remember it exactly like that. So we got to the hospital at eight, at 8 p.m. And, um, Laurel met us there. And one of the things that I did not like about giving birth at St. Anne's is that when you are induced, they will, they make you stay on the monitor like the whole entire time. And I semi understand the reason for that, but it's still like very frustrating because that also means like you cannot use the like, um, the birthing tub, which is something that like I wanted to use so badly because and in vast unbelief to my, you know, best friend, the maternal specialist, I can swim, I love water. And so I really just had heard all these birth stories about being in the tub and this and that. And I just really wanted that so bad, but um, I knew that wasn't going to happen. So 
signed in for the induction. I remember right before, either right before at some point, like we had gone and got Fazoli's for like dinner because you're just like, oh, you need some, you need to like, you know, get your strength up. And so did all the stuff, came in, got everything started. Um, and like I said, the reason that we scheduled the induction, my, my rationale was that with Junior, we got started at night. And then um, typically what happens is like, especially with me at the time, I was like not dilated at all. I was like, you know, not, literally nothing was happening. Um, and so it can take a little while for the medicine to start taking effect. So I was like, if they start me in the morning, it could take like, you know, 10 to 12 hours. So then around 6 a.m., um, you know, is when I started really going into labor with junior. Um, and so I was like, I started at eight and then I'll like sleep through the night. And then in the morning I'll wake up rested. Spoiler alert, Carol was born at 545. So that will just tell you that that plan did not work. But we got there at eight, um, got all settled and everything, got some food. And I remember Laurel was, Laurel had said to me like, okay, you're good to go. Like, I'm about to, I'm about to head out um, and, you know, call me if anything happens, like, you know, call me and I will be right back here. Like as soon as you need me, of course, like I hear that as like, don't call Laurel until you're about ready to have this baby. Um, but I was like, okay, that sounds good. So we, we, um, I get settled and they do the first course of, um, Cervidil, which is like a basically supposed to be just like a uterine ripener, which sounds mad alien and weird, but basically it's just supposed to get your uterus to start, um, you know, to start doing the stuff that uteruses do when they're getting prepared to have a baby. Um, and typically what happens is like you start with that you know, and then as you start to progress a little bit, then like you'll sometimes like they'll do a Foley bulb. And then as you start to progress a little further, they'll do Pitocin, all of that. So like, this is supposed to be the thing that's just like the beginning of everything. So I was like, okay, go ahead, put it in. We're good. So they put it in, I'm like laying back and I was like, all right, we're, we're chilling. So I'm listening to music, kind of reading a book, just hanging out It nothing is really happening. And that's fine for a couple hours. I like tell Sheldon to like doze off. So I was like, I might, I don't know when I'm going to need you, but like doze off for a little bit. And so all of a sudden around probably 11 PM, I start feeling like definite more, like I start feeling contractions. I was like, oh, this is actually like, man, this is getting kind of painful. It's a little, a little, uh, it's a lot. So it wasn't painful, painful yet, but I could definitely feel them. And I remember being really surprised by that. Cause I was like, oh, but I'm not going into labor until like, 6 a.m. So this is weird. Like in my head, I was like, I am not going into labor until 6 a.m. So like everything that was happening at that point, I was just like, this is so weird since I'm not in labor. Like, why am I having all of these like weird, like, why am I feeling so much? So then I'm still there just being like, oh, okay, interesting. So then probably around 1130, you know, the nurses kept coming in because the um, Kara kept moving away from the little monitor. Um, and I know now that I know my daughter's personality that I can understand why she was like, mm, mind your business. And so she kept moving away from the little monitor and they kept coming in and being like, hey, like the baby's heart rate, like we need to get her heart rate um, and kept adjusting me and adjusting the monitor. 
So finally around 1130, I, I was like, okay, I got to go get up and go to the bathroom. Anybody who's ever given birth before knows that you're strapped to like 15 million things and like the water and the IV and this and that. So anytime you have to go to the bathroom, it's like a whole experience. Like you don't just like pop up and go to the bathroom. Like you prepare yourself, you freaking heave your giant pregnant body forward. You catch the momentum and try to make it to the bathroom. So, you know, I got to the bathroom, I, I used the bathroom and then I was sitting on the toilet for a second. And all of a sudden, like, I felt like this rush of liquid. And I was like, <gasps> I was like, oh my gosh, I think my water broke. And it was such a weird feeling because they broke, they broke my water with Junior. So I'd never felt it before. So I was like, oh my gosh, I think my water broke. Um, and, you know, I come out and I tell the nurse, I was like, hey, I think my water broke. And she kind of like looked at me and, and I actually liked my nurse a lot. She was cool, but she kind of looked at me like, are you sure you didn't just pee? I was like, well, what I am sure of is that I'm a grown ass woman who's been peeing for 30 years. And I think I know the difference between pee and something else. So she like looks down, she's like, okay, well lay down and like, let me check or whatever. So she looks and she doesn't even check. She's like, oh yeah, your water definitely broke. Um, so at that point, I remember, you know, telling Sheldon, I was like, hey, like, will you text Laurel and let her know that my water broke? And he was like, oh, are you sure you want to text her? Cause you know, if you text her, like she's probably going to come. And I was just like, oh yeah, I don't want to stress her out. But like, I was like, my water did just break. So like, maybe we should, we should let her know. So then like, you know, he was like, all right, I'm going to text her. So he texted Laurel and that my water broke. And I was like, man, this is so early since I'm not in labor, like to now have my water be broken. And I literally, I am not joking. Like in my head, I was like not in labor. So I was like, man, this is so weird and intense, especially since I'm not even in labor yet. And so I was like, well, she wants to come, like she can come or whatever. And so thank God, Laurel was like, this bitch, I am definitely coming. So, you know, Laurel definitely showed up and was just like, it was right on time because after your water breaks, stuff tends to pick up. And that definitely happened with me. All of a sudden, like those, um, the, the feeling I was having, I didn't even call them contractions. I was like, oh my gosh, like, you know, they had like the little contraction monitor on, on me. And I started to like, you know, things just started to amp up. And so I just remember being like, you know, she was like looking, she was like, oh, wow. And I was like, oh, can you, can you see these on the contraction monitor? She's like, yeah, you're having contractions. I was like, oh, um, and just like so shocked by all this. And so it just started to really ramp up. And I remember Laurel work, walked in and I was so happy to see her because at that point, things were starting to get really painful. And, um, you know, I was like standing up. I remember we put on some like 90s freaking R&B and we were just in there, like Montel Jordan, like this is how we do it. Like just all of the things, just like body rolling, trying to like get this pain under control. Um, and all of us were like singing along. And I literally remember that, um, you know, the contractions would come and as soon as they would come, like, I would literally just be like, it's coming, it's coming, it's coming, it's coming, it's coming, it's coming, it's coming. Like, it's like, I could feel it. And I would just like start freaking out. And Laurel would just like, you know, freaking hold me or rock me or like massage me. Um, and this whole time, like I had told Sheldon, I was like, no, he was like, do you want me to come over there? I was like, no, you hang out and get rest. Because when I really get into labor, like I'm going to need you. So like, you should rest now. And he was like, uh, are you sure? I was like, yeah, trust me. Because once I'm in labor, like I'm really gonna need you at that point so he's like uh, okay so he's 
laying down. Me and Laurel are in the nurses are like jamming and also trying to make it through all these contractions. Um, and for a while it's working pretty well, but then there comes a point where I'm just like, this shit is not working anymore. Like, this is too painful. So I am, I lay back on the bed and that's when I like get shelled up. I was like, oh my God, like I think I'm in labor. Like this really hurts. And so he was just like, he comes over and there's a picture that I love of him like holding my hand in both his hands. He's like bent over the bed with like his forehead to my forehead. And I'm just trying to like breathe. And the whole time I really wanted to have this like unmedicated birth. Um, so I was just like, I really want to have this unmedicated birth and this and that, that and this. And, you know, I just felt like, I don't know, I am not good at breathing. I like hear all of these other people talk about, you know, how they breathed and meditated through it and all of that. And I'm sure they had a perfectly pleasant 2020 because I cannot disassociate what pain I am going through at any given moment. And I just struggled. Like I couldn't, I just, I had such a hard time getting a handle on the pain and the contractions were coming, you know, like so close together. Like it was just like coming one after another. And my nurses were really surprised because all they had given me was like that one dose. And it like, just, that was it. Like that was the induction. It was like that half a pill and everything just like kicked off. Um, and so I remember at some point after like, um, I don't even know how long I was there. I, I had a peanut ball, I shifted around and finally I was like, I can't do this anymore. Like give me an epidural. Um, and as always the same thing I do with my son, I like broke down. I was like, oh, I'm a failure. I can't even have an unmedicated birth. And like, I'm so sad and all of this kind of stuff. And Laurel and Sheldon really like hyped me up and they're like, you're fine. Um, and so we ended up getting the epidural. And I remember um, at this point, so I had actually hired a birth photographer and I texted her and same with her. She was like, listen, call me. I'm turning my ringer on call me like as soon as things start happening and I will be there. And I remember I texted her like around the time Laurel got there around midnight or something. And I was like, hey, just FYI, like you don't, I didn't even call her. I texted her and was hoping it would not wake her up. But I was like, hey, just FYI, things are starting to pick up. But like, you don't need to come yet. Like still come around six. I think that's probably when like labor will really, really start. But like stuff is just starting to pick up. Thankfully, she too did not listen to me. And she definitely came as well. Um, and so we're laboring for what felt like forever. It was probably a couple hours before I was like, I need the epidural. Um, the epidural, the anesthesiologist, um, thankfully was able to get there fairly quickly. And I hate needles, even though I have to give myself injections twice a day when I'm pregnant, I can hate needles. And I was so, but like, Honestly, I was in such a haze of pain. Like I did not care about that needle. I told the anesthesiologist, like, give me these drugs immediately, sir. And he literally came in. It seemed like he was taking his sweet time. Now, granted, I was under a haze, but I was literally like, sir, I'm gonna need you to pick up the pace, get these drugs inside of me immediately. Um, and so I remember he finally went through the whole thing, gave me the epidural, um, and, you know, it was so amazing within like, I don't even know, like 20 minutes or 30 minutes or something, you know, I was able to like lay back down and started to feel like, okay, you know, some of the pain from those contractions like started to subside. So I really felt like, all right, good. We sitting pretty. This was probably around like 3.30 in the morning ish. 
I was like, all right, we, we sitting pretty, like stuff is good. Now I'm probably just gonna like sleep or rest for a few hours until whenever it comes down time to push. And it was interesting because right before I got the epidural, my nurse checked me, it was either right before or right after she checked me and she was like, oh, you're like three centimeters dilated. And I was like, three centimeters? All of this for three centimeters? Nah, give me the drugs now. Um, and so by the time, you know, I got the epidural, I was like, okay, I got a good, I got a ways to go before, um, you know, before we actually give birth. And so, you know, I remember like, I ended up laying down at this point, it's probably like four, four something, 4.30, I don't know. But so I'm like laying, I was like, okay, I'm going to lay down. My birth photographer was like, look, I'm going to take, I'm going to step out. Like she took some really nice pictures, but then we all started just kind of getting settled and just waiting. Laurel was like sitting by the bed, looking at the little monitor. Sheldon was kind of like hanging out. Um, I was like, I'm going to take a nap. And our birth photographer is like, okay, I'm going to go walk around for a little bit. So I'm laying down. I don't know how long I'm laying down. It felt like two seconds. Next thing I know, I feel the most intense, like, pressure that I have ever felt in my life. And from all of the research that I've done regarding birth stories, I know like, oh, when you have all this pressure, like that can mean that like, you're getting ready to go through transition or like you're almost ready to push. All I know is that my eyes flew open and I was like, pressure, moral pleasure, pressure, pressure, not pleasure. I just stuttered and said pleasure. It was not pleasurable. I was like, pressure, pressure. So Laurel immediately kind of like jumped up. She went and got the nurse. She was like, oh, she's saying she's feeling pressure. Da, da, da. So the nurse comes in and she's like, all right, let me check you or whatever. She checks me again. She's like, you're only like five centimeters dilated. And I was like, no, cannot be get behind me Satan, this cannot be true. Like I was literally like, absolutely not. And she was like, look, you know, the epidural like only takes away pain. It doesn't take away pressure. So this may just be something you have to deal with. I was like, Ninja, no, I'm about to reach in there and rip this baby out. Like I cannot take this. Um, it was just something like I'd never felt before, but she was like, look, I don't know, I'm sorry. Um, and so I was just like, oh my gosh. So I was like, okay. So I lay back down, Laurel like gets settled in her little chair again or whatever. I'm like, all right, that's okay, that's okay. So I was like, I'm gonna get through this. So I freaking like, you know, chill out. And then the next thing I know, maybe like 10 minutes later, that's what it felt like. I don't know how long it was. But like 10 minutes later, I was like, Laurel, like pressure, Laurel pressure. Like I literally was just like, I was feeling like my body was about to rip in half. Like I, all I know is I had like gripped the like side of the hospital bed, like for dear life. And I was just like, so tense. Like my whole body was tense. My legs were like clenched together. My thighs were clenched together as tightly as I have ever seen them and would have made any church mom proud. And I just was literally like, I cannot do this. And so the next thing I knew, um, Laurel like jumped up again, so faithful, like, and this, but, but real talk though, it is so powerful to have somebody who really believes the words that you say, because it had not been a very long time since she checked me and said I was a five, like it was probably like 20 minutes, like, and she was like, you're a five and Laurel like did not doubt it. She, as soon as I told her, I was like, Laurel, like, I mean, I was not this calm, but when I was like, Laurel, like pressure, that was it. She got up and she got the nurse and she was just like, come back in here and check her again. 
And um, I just really appreciated that because she could have easily been like, no, you're not like, it's going to be okay. Like just, you know, hang out or whatever. And she didn't, she just listened to what I was saying. So the nurse comes back in and like, you know, thank to her credit. She was, she was chill. She was fine. And she was like, all right, we're going to check you. I was like, absolutely not. I was like, no, I'm like literally like hanging to this bed. I was like, don't touch me. Like nobody touch me. And so Laurel and the nurse were like, um, we have to literally look at your vagina. So I'm going to need you to like, I'm gonna need, we're gonna have to touch you. And so I was literally just like, please don't, please don't. And they were like, look, we're gonna let you get through this contraction and then we're gonna check you. So I got through that contraction. And I remember them both like physically like grabbing my body and like rolling me over so that, and like prying my freaking legs open. And it was so funny because like the nurse kind of like pried my legs open and then like slammed my legs shut again. And she was like, okay, the baby's crowding. So we need to get a doctor in here. Like immediately she was like, don't push. Like we need to wait till a doctor gets here. Like this and that. And I was literally like, I'm sorry. I literally have not pushed at all. This child is coming whether I want her to or not. Um, and it was so unreal because I remember, um, people talking about like the, the feeling of like having to push and stuff like that. And I never felt that with junior. And even when I had him, they really like coached me through like breathing and pushing and it didn't take very long, but it was like a lot of like coaching. It was like, Hey, push and bear down and this and that. I was literally trying to keep my body together. I was like this, I was not pushing. I was doing the opposite of pushing. I was trying to like suck that baby back up into my freaking uterus. And it did not matter, like she was coming. And so like, I remember she was like, the nurse was like, get the doctor in here. Somebody get a doctor in here. And um, I don't even remember what happened, but like in the next few minutes, like a doctor came, I opened my legs the baby came out, like, it was a very, it happened, like, so, so, so incredibly fast, like, I did not birth her, she 100% birthed herself, um, like, she just literally came, like, I did not push, I did not do anything, she just came out, um, and in some ways, you know, I feel like that birth story was so, everything that I needed in my life at that time, because I was so anxious and I was so scared and I didn't feel like I was ready. And if it would have been up to me, like I wouldn't even have been in labor until 6 a.m., right? But like, she knew that she was coming and she didn't ask any permission. And she was like, you're ready right now. And here I am. And I just think that like, ultimately it was such a crazy thing. My birth photographer like walked in after the baby was born. She was like, I went for a cup of coffee. It's like, sorry, boo, baby's here. Like, you know, it just, it happened so fast when it did finally happen. Um, and yeah, that was my birth story. It was completely insane. And like I said, I was mainly a passive and in denial participant for the bulk of it. All of that is true. Yeah, <laughs> is the most amazing part of this story. <laughs> like whatever the mind tells you is true. And it's just like, you follow that. Your whole mindset just was like set in that. And the baby's like, I'm doing my own thing. Right. You check out a little bit here. <laughs> I'll handle this. <laughs> I've got it. I've got it. 
Like, as I'm telling this story right now, and I'm just like, damn, I must have really sounded crazy. But like, I literally was like, well, clearly I'm going into labor at 6 a.m. So like, wow, I feel so weird, especially since I'm not even in labor yet. It's like, you're in labor. Like, what are you even about right now? Um, and yes, I am just really grateful for people who were um, not listening to me. I don't normally say that, but I'm really grateful for all the people who did not listen to me in that moment um, and just saw what was going on and just stepped in and were like, okay, I'll see, you're not in labor, that's fine. Um, but let's just pretend like you are for just a second. And um, yeah, and baby girl came out and was like, here I am. And whether you're in labor or not, I'm here. So you do what you're gonna do and I'm gonna do what I'm gonna do. I like how you set the tone in this space though. Um, I. Laura and I always talk about it with our clients, like setting, you know, setting up your party, right? Um, and having music in the environment that you want when you take your, especially when you take yourself from home where you're most comfortable and then going into a hospital space, it can be very sterile. But when you set the tone in the space, like even when people don't even come to work in a good mood or, you know what I mean? <laughs> like they might be, you walk in a room that's playing 90s r and I mean, what are you going to do? You're going to bob your head. You're going to be snapping your fingers a little bit. And it just, it shifts the atmosphere. Even if, you know, however somebody came in that day and felt or whatever, like that helps. It's not just for you, but the whole environment, right? And it keeps everybody's energy light. My favorite part, um is of you know being a doula is just witnessing all the things that unfold because you do you're like kind of, like you get to be the fly on the wall like of course you're helping to like manage the space and make sure everybody's comfortable but just being able sometimes to just like sit back and watch things um and i remember elsie <laughs> the point when you had like the second time you had said you were feeling pressure and just the look in your eyes, I'm like, without a doubt, this baby is here. Like, the, <laughs> she said what she said, you need to get in here really, really fast. And when you, there was a point, like you said, when you were gripping the bed, the nurse and I locked eyes when we were finally able to get you to kind of like relax to be able to at least do the cervical check. And we both locked eyes and she mouthed me, baby's here. And I'm like <laughs> trying to coax Elsie. <laughs> Okay, so at this point, we gotta just release. We gotta just release. And Elsie's like, no, don't touch me. <laughs> so just the gentle, like, okay, we're going to slightly move your legs. <laughs> but yes, it was just, it was absolutely wonderful to watch all of that and be a part of all of that. And just, you know, like, it, it was really beautiful to see both you and Sheldon surprise when like she was in your chest. You're like, wait, what? <laughs> I was literally like, where, where did this baby come from? Like, I love hearing that you kind of, that you guys both kind of like knew because I just remember being so, I mean, at the time, like I was so, I didn't know what was happening. I never felt that feeling before. And I think, again, it just reinforces the fact that just because you've given birth before, that does not mean that you're going to understand or know what your birth is going to be like. And um, yeah, like, I love that you guys like knew. And I feel like I knew Laurel knew because Laurel was just like, like I, the second time I was like, Laurel, <laughs> like I, yes, I feel like a wild beast. And I was just like, please go get somebody now. And I think I instinctually knew like something was different. Like I was just like, this is not, 
this is not what this is not what was before like this is something else and again just reinforcing like when you have somebody in your corner who believes in you and listens to you um, I still laugh at the fact that I had one dose of freaking cervical ripener and that was it and then baby was born freaking less than eight hours later um, and so that was completely insane because we definitely were like she was like oh you're five centimeters and like 30 minutes later like baby's here the end after all of that and you settled in your mind that you were indeed in labor had a baby how was your postpartum experience so my postpartum was interesting because I had had so much of a struggle with my anxiety and mental health during my pregnancy and the pregnancy was kind of like shocking and as I mentioned we we lost a family friend the day that my that Kara was born and um so all of that, I really thought that I was gonna have a lot of postpartum anxiety, but once Kara got here, it honestly felt like everything was right with the world, which is very different than like when my son was here, like I think I had a lot of anxiety after the, uh, during my postpartum period. With Kara, like she was born and it was just immediate. I was just like, she is meant to be here. Um, and I just had a really amazing postpartum. Like I had a really great lactation consultant come in with um, while I was in the hospital. And I had had somebody come in before with Junior, but I don't think they were really good because honestly, after speaking with the lactation consultant with Kara, I realized that Junior never latched properly. And that's why like my supply really never built. And I started supplementing with him when he was two weeks old. And I was had all this trouble like breastfeeding and all of this stuff. And I realized now it's just because he had never latched properly. His latch was always too shallow. Um, and because I was nursing Kara and I was like, oh, I got this. And she was like, girl, she barely got the, just the tip. This ain't She's like, this ain't the JTT school lactation. Like, let's let's get it in there. Um, and that was so helpful for me. And so um, honestly, we had that experience. We started breastfeeding. Um, I had, you know, a full 12 weeks off, um, which was very different again than my first experience. And it was amazing. We had just an amazing postpartum. I had a ton of support. Um, I felt really confident. Breastfeeding went great. Um, now, a week after my uh, postpartum was over, we went into pandemic shutdown, but that's a whole other question. Like my actual postpartum and maternity period was really phenomenal. I mean, briefly, how was it navigating that, navigating that postpartum with a shutdown in that way? Yeah, I mean, I think it was really challenging even more than the immediate postpartum. I think the transition to a family of four um, was made a lot more challenging because of COVID, um, because, you know, we had already um, gone through kind of like that initial postpartum period, which feels really different. You have a new baby. Um, and like kind of after three months, our hope was really that we'd be able to start going out and doing things as a family so that Junior could really get used to, you know, having his little sister with him and that we could like have that experience. And um, that didn't happen. And so just then like, you know, um, the challenges of, of not being able to be with, be in community with people. And my parents and my siblings did not meet Karen. So she was almost 10 months old because of COVID. Um, they had actually planned to come down a few weeks after the shutdown had happened. Um, clearly we're not able to do that and didn't end up meeting her until she was almost 10 months old. And so just that whole experience was really challenging for us in a lot of ways. There were so many challenges and then having a newborn 
on top of all of it was just, um, it was really, really hard. And those, those early months of pandemic were probably some of the hardest because I was back at work, but we were, the baby was still with me. Um, Sheldon and Junior's daycare got shut down. So now he's at home with us and it was just a lot. It was a lot. And that was probably a lot more challenging. And the most challenging part of it was just not being able to be in community with people. That's such an important part of the postpartum experience, um, just to have people around you, right, um, that can do those things that in that village support that we're so used to, especially when you come into, you know, your second experience where the first one, you didn't have the, the big support here in the area, but now you've built this whole community and it's like, eh, I still can't get that part of it. And we're still struggling right now, right? I just want to be with my friends. I just want to do <laughs> bad things with my friends. <laughs> well, I'll see. Thank you so much for sharing your story. Is there anything else that you want to share with listeners, resources, advice, anything else from your birth? Um, I don't think so. I think the biggest lessons, um, it's always really funny when people are like, is there anything else you want to share? No, but let me share for another five minutes. Thanks. Um, so the biggest, so yes, I do have a few things I'd like to share. Um, the biggest lessons that I really took away throughout this pregnancy was during the pregnancy itself, like making space for other things that are happening in your life. For me, I, I needed space to process a lot of grief and recognizing that like other things happening in the life and in the world can impact how you're feeling about your pregnancy and that's okay. Um, during the birth itself, I had to keep reminding myself that like, you know, just because I had given birth before didn't mean it was gonna be exactly the same. Um, and even still, I really got stuck in a mindset of like, I am giving birth at this time, like, you know, and, and you know, I think that really, really kind of like sent me down a path of extreme denial for the bulk of my um, birth experience. I think the other thing I would say is definitely like having people in your corner who believe in you and who trust you and listen to your word. I can't stress enough like how meaningful it was that, you know, when I said, you know, I didn't even know what I was experiencing, but when I expressed that to Laurel, like she didn't question, she just got up, got the nurse, like, you need to get back here. Um, I love the world. It was like, she said what she said. And I think that should be the theme of, um, honestly, every empowered birth story is like, she said what she said, like, you know, and having people who are going to back you up, who are going to support you, who are going to advocate for you was so, so critical. So um, those were all the things that, you know, really touched me about my birth story. I, I'm excited to be able to tell this story. Kara is a year old, so it's really fun to, to um, tell all this story. You guys need to do some some bonus like companion episodes where the doulas actually tell the stories. Um, and it can be like a little like, get the inside scoop because I really wanna hear Laurel tell my birth story and how she experienced uh, how she experienced my birth. So if y'all listeners want that too, y'all should write in and be like, yeah. And this should be the first example. Laurel should tell OC's birth story. So yes, look what you started. Action, call to action. Right. <laughs> Talk about that, even still, like that listening piece of it all. Um, it's something that when people ask me about root, and it's just kind of like the first thing we do is listen, right? We we want to hear everything, right? Tell us about what's going on with your birth. Um, 
prior to the birth, the pregnancy, that all the different things that are about you. And we just listen, take it all in. Nobody's sitting there saying, just like you said, she said what she said. And that is like so important for anybody's life, especially when you're going through pregnancy. Well, this has been wonderful. And yes, I would love to share my details. <laughs> We're gonna have to, we have to figure that out. Um, but thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Listening to Birth Stories in Color. To hear this show and other episodes, head to birthstoriesincolor.com. Today's episode is sponsored by Root, restoring our own through transformation. Root is a collective of concerned Black families, community members, advocates, and interdisciplinary professionals dedicated to decreasing Black maternal and infant mortality in Ohio. Root's mission is to comprehensively restore our collective well-being through collaboration, resource allocation, research, and re-empowerment in order to meet the needs of Black parents and families. If you and your family are planning, pregnant, or in your postpartum period, please reach out to Root at www.rootrj.org. Financial assistance is available. You can also connect with Root at 614-398-1766 or email them at general.info at rootrj.org.